All right. Our sermon passage this morning is in the book of Matthew. We're back in the book of Matthew, picking up. We left off last year, early 2020, uh, preaching through the gospel of Matthew, and we're in chapter 19. Today I'm going to read verses 1 through 9, uh, Matthew 19, verses 1 through 9, where Jesus teaches on marriage and divorce. So please give your attention to the reading of God's holy word. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, Well, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart. Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Let me read one more verse. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man and his wife, it is better not to marry. This is the word of the Lord. Father, as we come to sit at your feet and to hear your word preached, Lord, we ask that you would be at work in our hearts. Speak, Holy Spirit. Each one of us needs to hear your message for us. And so we ask in the confidence that this is what you have promised. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. All right, so we said last week, coming back into Matthew, we are in what some call Jesus' Sermon on Community, or Jesus' Second Sermon on the Mount. Uh, And the reason is because in chapters 18, 19, and 20, Jesus teaches, and it looks like Matthew is like the, the writer and organizer of this gospel, he intentionally ordered these teachings together on how we, as the body of Christ, the the citizens of Jesus' kingdom, Christians, how we are to live together in community. Uh, In chapter 18, he focuses a lot on community practices. In chapter 19, he focuses a lot on family practices, Uh, specifically marriage, divorce, singleness, children. Uh, Next week, David will will preach to us on on children. But Jesus' point is to say that when we receive the gospel of grace, it is free of charge, right? When we put our faith in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross, we are saved by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. And yet, when we become Christians, when we receive that gospel and we begin to follow Jesus as his disciples and live as citizens of the kingdom of God, there are real moral and ethical implications on the way we are to live. Our lives are shaped by our faith. And so Jesus unpacks how we are to interact with one another. Last week we looked at the call to forgiveness. Today we're going to look at marriage and divorce. And really we're looking at God's heart for marriage. That's, that's really the key. Um, 
uh, studying this passage this week, I, you could write a whole book on marriage, a long book on marriage, from what Jesus says in these nine verses. It's really incredible. But obviously today we're going we're gonna to look at, the, at kind of Jesus' overall point uh, in teaching us about the heart of God for, for marriage and the purpose of it. So, some context. Where does this teaching come from? Well, we saw right here in verse, uh, verse 1, Jesus is beginning his, his journey... If you're familiar with his, his ministry, he did most of his ministry in the northern sections of Israel, in Galilee, uh, nor, uh, around the, the Sea of Galilee. Well, near the end, he began to move south on his way to Jerusalem, where he would confront the religious leaders there and ultimately be crucified. So Jesus is beginning that journey. He heads south, and he's in the, the southern regions of Judea, on the other side of the Jordan, it's called. And here, the Pharisees, who had their strongest presence in Jerusalem, they go to him. Jesus, obviously, he's gathering great crowds. The Pharisees are aware of his teachings, and they're really skeptical. They actually don't like Jesus. They don't like what he is teaching. And so they come to him with a question. And we're told here by Matthew that this question is a test, meaning they don't care about his answer. (laughs) Uh, You've probably, you know, you're familiar with political situations today, and whether it's the press or whether it's something else, politicians are often asked questions that are loaded. (laughs) And and an adept politician will receive a question, and if you're paying attention, you'll see they didn't say anything. They didn't answer that question. They just talked about what they wanted to talk about. That's, that's some political uh, uh, nuance, some, some skill there in not getting caught in a question. Well, that's exactly what the Pharisees are trying to do. There was, there was a uh, marriage and divorce was a hot-button issue in Jesus' day, and there were different rabbinic schools led by certain rabbis about why someone could or should or shouldn't be able to get divorced. And this was a highly patriarchal uh, uh, society, and so really a woman's not going to divorce her husband, but a man could very easily divorce uh, his wife. Really, it could just come to literally, for any reason, one rabbinic school said, she burns your food, you don't find her attractive anymore, you're mad, write a certificate of divorce, and you're done. So the rabbi, or these Pharisees, wanted to pull Jesus into this this debate and really get him to make a misstep and kind of uh, sidetrack him and make him lose many of his followers. But as Jesus often does, if we're paying attention, (laughs) he answers this question better than they could have ever imagined. And the benefit to us is we receive this incredible teaching on marriage and God's heart for marriage. So that's the context. What does Jesus teach us in response to this question? Well, what's the question? Let me read it again. The Pharisees come to him and they ask this question, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Right? They're referring to Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, where uh, the Old Testament law teaches about divorce. And Moses writes uh, Deuteronomy, and he writes how one goes about divorcing their spouse. And so this is the question Jesus is responding to. Can a man, particularly, just divorce his wife for any reason? Jesus begins, have you not read? This is a very typical way of responding. This is how Pharisees would respond to one another. But Jesus shows in their response that the answer to their question about marriage comes from the Scriptures. Of course, the Pharisees would have agreed with this, but he shows 
his allegiance and his faithfulness to the revelation of God. If you want to answer the question about what is marriage and what are the parameters of marriage or divorce, we've got to go to the revealed will of God in the Scriptures. Second, he says, from the beginning. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning? He's saying, look, the answer to your question, if you want to understand marriage, you've got to go back to the creation story. God's purpose and heart for marriage is is right there. It's embedded in the text. God shows his purpose for marriage in the good creation. Marriage did not come about as a concession or as a result of sin, right? We know if you're familiar with the early chapters of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1 and 2 are the story of the creation and how God created and intended all things to be. Chapter 3 Adam and Eve, our first parents, fall into sin, and and it disrupts everything, all of creation, including relationships between men and women and husbands and wives. And so Jesus wisely points us to answer this question by going to God's pattern. Jesus also says, in the beginning, have you not read that he who created them created them male and female? Now this, many commentators take this as a subtle rebuke. to Jesus' culture and their customs. Notice their question. They say, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? And Jesus here, on the face of it, he seeks to uh, address the situation. Look, marriage, he says, is between two people, a man and a woman. And he's really referring to Genesis chapter 1, verses 27. This, This language that God uses as he is creating mankind. He says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so in this first chapter of the scriptures, God communicates very clearly that man or mankind was created male and female, equally the image of God, which communicates equal in value equal in worth, equal in partnership in marriage. And so even in their question is embedded uh, an imbalance, an oppression, we might say. Uh, Not just reading today's culture or our own awareness today of patriarchy and the oppression of women, but in Jesus' own day, Jesus was jealous to communicate men and women are absolutely equal in God's sight. Women are not objects at men's disposal, but rather equally daughters as men are sons of God, and that marriage is a union of these two. And he continues to communicate this when he says, uh, therefore, he's now quoting Genesis chapter 2, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This phrase, this phrase kind of captures it all. This is what Jesus says is happening in marriage, that when these two individuals, uniquely created, beautiful in the sight of God, when they come together in marriage, they are no longer two but one. Two but one. This is a foundational truth about marriage. Marriage is not some simple legal contract or, or a binding agreement. The reality of marriage is so profound that spiritually speaking, something mysteriously has been joined together. And in God's sight, these two are one 
entity. And these two coming together in, a, in this new relationship is so profound that it actually eclipses uh, the, the previous most pr- uh, important relationship, and that is from a child to a parent. Right? For this reason, a son shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. That's that old school King James language, cleave or, or take hold of his wife. And, and today, in our day, we probably have you know, all of our relationships have been weakened. But in Jesus' day, and in some cultures still today, it's a highly honor-based culture where uh, honor of and respect of and relationship to your, to your parents, like, never ends. You, they, that is supposed to be your, your primary allegiance until your death. And, and Jesus himself challenges that culture and says, no, marriage is a primary relationship. It is your primary relationship if you are married, other than your relationship to God, which of course is pinnacle of all. And he says, hold fast to your wife. And what's, what's interesting is, you know, as we read this, this is active, right? A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. But, but this language, this, the, the voice of these words are actually in the passive. This is pastors nerding out on the text, but it's important. What Jesus is communicating and what the scriptures are communicating is that it is not the man who makes this binding. It's a passive verb, meaning he is joined to his wife. Or the wife is joined to her husband. By whom? By God. <laughs> That's what Jesus will say at the end of this sentence. What God has joined together, let no man separate. So again, Jesus is painting this beautiful picture. What What is marriage? Well, it's created by God. It's a mystery of two becoming one. And it is something that God does, even if we see ourselves fully active in the process of dating and finding a spouse and getting engaged and getting married. That is not your act. This is God's act. If you are married, that was God joining you together. And so Jesus closes his initial answer to their question. What God has joined together, let no one separate. Jesus' logic is very simple. Marriage is God's intention for men and women. One man, one woman to come together in a union uh, for a lifetime, for, for, for life until death do us part. And what Jesus is really addressing in his day and age and in this moment is God's people Uh, their promiscuous teaching and practice of divorce. He wants to remind them, God created marriage not never to be broken. But what do I see? What do I see before me? You rabbis, you Pharisees, you teach as if it's nothing. It's It's just this legal binding. It's something that can be easily erased. They'll find another spouse. You'll go find another spouse. No harm, no foul. And Jesus says, no. Marriage is a profound, divinely created, instituted, honored relationship. And human beings should not be in the business of undoing God's work. And Jesus basically communicates God would have no marriage end in divorce. And so if, if nothing else, Jesus' teaching here reminds us or, or teaches us how, how highly God considers marriage. Even as two becoming one flesh is a a mystery, it images 
the greater mystery of the divine trinity, right? Our God is one, but he exists in three persons. And so God, in a special way, he's even able to to imbue or reflect who he is in marriage. Two distinct individuals, yet they come together in one. And when Christians uh, are married in the Lord and are actively engaged in living out their marriage in uh, submission to the Lord, it's actually these three together in one. And so marriage reflects the character and person of God as three in one. And so Jesus teaches an incredibly high view of marriage, and we as God's people should have a high view of marriage. Well, why then is there divorce? And is divorce okay? That's, that's where the Pharisees' next question come, right? The Pharisees don't really care about Jesus' answer. They want to catch him, and so they're ready with his answer, and they pounce. Ha ha! You don't think divorce should happen, but why does Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? Let's look at Jesus' response in verse 8. He says, it's because of your hardness of heart Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. So Jesus, immediately, he addresses their wording. Jesus, God, and through Moses, God didn't command divorce, let alone uh, command it for any specific reason, but he did allow for it because of the hardness of the human heart, which is another way of saying because of sin. Sin is in the world, right? Jesus points to creation prior to sin entering the world when he defines what marriage is and what it is intended to be. But as he responds to this question of divorce and why divorce is in the divine law, right? Divorce is allowed in the law of Moses, in the Torah. And so the Pharisees think they've got him. And yet Jesus, of course, the Son of God in the flesh, knows the law better than than any of them. And so he's able to uh, respond. So what does it mean here that the hardness of heart is what gave permission for divorce? Well, he means this, that what we said before, marriage was created by God to be an unbreakable union between a man and a woman. That is God's primary will for marriage. But, (laughs) there's a big but here, God also had a secondary or a permissive will. I don't know if you've ever heard that. What's the will of God? Well, God's will is absolutely clear. He tells us in the scriptures for all sorts of things. And yet, sometimes, often, even we as God's people and non-Christians, we go our own way. And what God communicates here is that he understands that. He has a permissive will that because of sin, sometimes marriages are going to end in divorce. God does not want divorce, let alone command divorce for any reason, as the Pharisees are implying. But God knows the human heart and so creates a space where we, do not, when we, where we do not live under constant condemnation for sin. And when marriages end. Uh, I, like, I love this quote from uh, Frederick Bruner. I don't know if we've got it uh, for the screen, but I'll read it to you. Talking to the your, he says, Thus the your in Jesus' accusation, because of your hardness of heart, it should be applied to all of Jesus' hearers, male and female, religious or irreligious, 
Universal human sinfulness is the reason Moses wrote Deuteronomy 24, where that uh, regulation about divorce is. According to Jesus, divorce is not God's glad pleasure for, it is God's sad concession to the sinfulness of the human condition. Okay, well, what do we do with that? Well, I think what Jesus is getting at here is that the church at times and God's people at times can treat divorce like the scarlet letter, right? Without any context, without any understanding, oh, you're divorced? Well, we're not going to say it out loud, but you're basically a secondary citizen. Leadership? No. You can't be in leadership. Serving? No. You can be here because <laughs> God welcomes sinners, but there's a mark on you. And I, I don't know if you grew up in a church like that or have experienced that yourself. But none of that response is in line with the gospel of grace. Right? There are times when one party sins against another in divorcing them, and the divorcee, the divorced party, should be enveloped by the church and cared for as one who is in great need. There are times when one party sins against their spouse in divorcing them and should be called to repentance, holiness, and faithfulness to God. And if they do come to full repentance, they should be treated as a restored brother or sister in the community. Right? Divorce is not the unforgivable, unforgivable sin. Divorce, like any sin, may be repented of. Now, it may not be, and, and Jesus actually seems to teach against remarriage uh, to that, but th that's a, that, that we can talk about that. That's more complicated. That's sort of assuming that the divorced parties have also already been remarried to others. But Jesus teaches here that divorce is a sin like any other, absolutely a sin, and yet redeemable, forgivable, restorable from God. Now, in most cases, it's both parties actively involved sinning against one another, right? If you know someone who's been divorced, we have divorced members of our church. If you're honest, more often than not, 99 times out of 100, there are two who sin against, well, I don't want to put a number on it, often. <laughs> there are often times when one spouse is abused and, and mistreated and, and divorce comes out of that. But, um, but in any case, there's, always, there's going to be a mixture where, where repentance needs to be asked for and forgiveness needs to be extended. Divorce is messy. But we can't miss Jesus' point here. God's people in his day had a too light view of marriage and too light, too easy a view of divorce. And, and that can often be said, that can be very, very easily said of God's people today. And so I think the message Jesus wants us to have today is, do you have my heart for marriage? Whether you've never been married before, you're currently married, or you're divorced, <laughs> do you have my heart for marriage? Our Lord calls us to this high view of marriage, and in, in some cases, he calls us to endure trial and suffering in our marriages. Sometimes we too easily hit the eject button. And so we really need to seek the Lord. We need to fight for our marriages. 
We need to nurture them, not just wait for a problem, but be actively at work nurturing, protecting our marriages. And we as a community should fight for one another's marriages and seek to to help others endure trial and work towards reconciliation together. Now, Jesus creates a tension here, right? Just as we saw an incredible tension last week in, in requiring us to be forgiving those who sin against us, even as we have been forgiven. God's intentions for marriage are clear. He really gives very little grounds for divorce, only sexual immorality, which is basically adultery, though it is broader than that. He really says this is the only reason. It is a breaking of the marital covenants. But divorce will happen because of sin, and so we should not treat it as the unforgivable sin. That's, that's the tension we must live in. So we are to honor marriage, fight for it, develop it, hold it up. Um, even as we extend and live in a community of grace and forgiveness, even as we have received grace and forgiveness from God. Now, the disciples' response to Jesus' teaching is telling, isn't it? That's why I read verse 10. The disciples, fully (laughs) digesting and hearing what Jesus says, they said, who should get married? Jesus' response, again, is instructive. He points back to God this teaching can't be received for, uh, by everyone, but only to those who, to whom it has been given. Well, who's it been given to and who's it been given by? This teaching has been given to God's people by God. And so we don't have the ability to uphold this law of Jesus on our own. We all fall short of the glory of God. And so we depend daily on the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to nurture and uphold our marriages. And if and when a marriage in our congregation or in our own lives ends, we are to run to the, to the throne of grace. We are to seek repentance, restoration, and life in the forgiving love of God. Now, marriage is considered a sacrament by the Roman Catholic Church. That's the church I grew up in. And I think the reason that is is because Marriage is such a sanctifying work. (laughs) Marriage is hard. Marriage exposes our sin, our selfishness. And yet, if we will fight, if we will submit ourselves to Jesus' teaching, it is a means through which God will imbue upon us incredible blessings and blessings upon our community. And he shows forth the gospel of grace even to those around us. So what God asks of us in the end is to receive his love and grace and then turn and offer that same love and grace to one another, both in marriage but also in our community and relationships. All right, that's all for today. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, this is a hard teaching. Lord, for those who are divorced, I pray and have experienced divorce, I pray that they would feel in this moment not your condemnation, but your warm embrace, your love for them, your forgiveness in Christ. For those who are married and in a happy marriage, I pray against pride. (laughs) I pray against self-reliance, but Lord, I pray for a heart of thanksgiving and joy. For those who are struggling in their marriage, I pray, Father, for hope 
and for uh, uh, a resting on your strength and grace of the gospel. And for those who are single and long to be married, I pray that you would meet them again with a loving embrace, reminding them of, of who you are and that you are present with them and with all of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.